There's been a pandemic. There've been protests. Sometimes it's hard to even remember what the world was like before now. And yet the gospel is still good news and heaven still rejoices over the number one. To make Jesus known, we each have to start with one lost person. Think about it. If I were to ask you who's your one, would you have an answer? I know it's hard. Your one might be someone hiding in plain sight. And sometimes, let me tell you about Jesus, just doesn't feel like the most natural way to have a conversation. But we're in this together. Tens of thousands of believers have found their one, and you can learn from them. Listen, everyone is talking about how the world has changed, but one person sharing Christ with one other person, that is real change. And it comes when you answer the question, who's your one? Uh, today we're finishing up our series on who's your one. Before I jump into the sermon, however, I want to take uh, uh, just a moment. We don't do this often, uh, but this has been a tough week for a lot of families in our church. Uh, David Linsky is in the hospital. If you don't know who he is, he's the you know seven foot tall guy that uh, sits in the back there. We just baptized, and uh, he's in the hospital in ICU. Uh, I just got a text. Um, uh, from his girlfriend, that he's doing a little bit better now, but he's still not out of the woods, so uh, he's had some heart issues. We need to uh, continue praying for him. Uh, Lewis, uh, one of our um, beloved senior saints, uh, is in uh, being transferred from one nursing home that just was not uh, caring for his needs, transfer, transferring to another, and we just need to pray for healing uh, for him as well. And we've had uh, several uh, people in our church who have suddenly lost loved ones uh, in the past week, and so uh, it's just been tough. You know, uh, we, we come in here, and uh, a lot of times we come in carrying uh, burdens from stuff that's going on out there, but God is good, and if we as a church are not able to come together and pray for those who are hurting, what are we here for, amen? So uh, let's just take a moment and just pray uh, for, for those in our church. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness and for your greatness. And God, I just pray right now, I just uh, just humbly come before you. Jehovah Rapha, the God of healing. Jehovah Jireh, the, the provider. God, I just ask right now that you would be there uh, and, and heal uh, our friends that are, that are sick right now. Heal those who are still struggling with COVID, struggling with sicknesses. God, I pray that you would provide comfort for those who are hurting. Lord, may your presence be very real and very obvious to us right now. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us and using us as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 1. Uh, we'll be in verses 40 through 42. Very short passage today um, as we close out this, uh, this series. I'm very excited about it. Uh, and I hope that this series... Um, has been uh, beneficial to you. I hope you have learned something. More than anything, I kind of hope that this series has challenged you. This is not one of those series where I hope you're, oh, this is wonderful, this is sweet. No, I, I hope that sometime during this five weeks that God has challenged you to say, man, I need to do a better job of sharing the gospel with those who are far from God but close to me. And so I hope that during this time, uh, God, through the scripture, through the songs, through whatever, has drawn you closer to him and challenged you to be more bold in your faith. So as we jump into that, my girl's birthday uh, is this weekend. 
uh, all three of my girls, not, 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 not the queen, uh, it's not her birthday, but uh, Emily, my oldest daughter, she, her birthday was yesterday. Uh, Maxie, my dog, her birthday is today. And then Avery, Avery, uh, my youngest daughter, her birthday is tomorrow. And so uh, January is a very birthday-centric place around the Rayom house. And, and, and as I was thinking this past week about birthdays and, and just about, you know, especially when they were younger, you know, birthday parties were a lot easier. You know, Chuck E. Cheese, two cakes, good to go. You know, I mean, it was, it was great. And uh, it was, it was, it, I would say it was easier to put on the party. However, when you have girls and when you have you know, parents who aren't, you know, rich. You know, she, our kids, bless their heart, they were raised with a teacher mommy and a youth pastor daddy, so we didn't have any money. And so, you know, it, it was like the, our kids didn't get to do the carte blanche. Invite all your friends. It's like, okay, you get five friends, you know, maybe seven, you know, uh, and that's it. And so it was like, all right, who do I choose to come to my birthday party? And there was always, it seems like every year there's always this, 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 this conflict. All right, this friend group doesn't like that friend group. And it, as they get older, and they're sitting here right now, and so it's like, all right, this person doesn't like this person because they're teenage girls, and they're always, you know, all right, this week, this person doesn't like this person, and so I can't invite this person. And so it's like this weird thing. The invitation is so, um, so important. You know, the invitation, it, it can be stressful, and who to invite to what, it can be stressful. And then I began thinking about my birthday parties. I began thinking about when I was a kid, about when I, who I invited. You know, when I grew up a total, complete, and I know this could be a shock to you guys, but I was a complete dork when I was a kid, okay? And, and so I, it might surprise you, I was hardly ever invited to birthday parties. You know, I wasn't invited to those places. But in the sixth grade, there was this girl, and I had kind of a mild crush on her, and she invited me to her birthday party. And I was like, whoo! I'm in, baby. And I was ready, you know. And I, I mean, I sold some of my toys. I did extra chores so I could get her this nice gift because I was like, this is my end, sucker. And then, you know, it was like also is they had a roller skate, roller skate rink. And I was like, oh, man, I don't roller skate. You know, so I just thought I'd play it cool and just hang out by the wall. Like, hey, how you doing? That kind of thing. And so it was yeah, all that. And then I get there and her boyfriend was there. I was like, oh, boo, you know. And, <laughs> and, and so it was like I wasted all that money on those earrings for that girl. And so... But, you know, but it still, it was something special. When I got that invitation, it was like, oh, yeah. And then conversely, when I didn't get the invitation, how it felt. And you might be wondering, Sean, what in the world does this have to do with um, who's your one? Well, we're going to look at a disciple, one of the lesser known disciples in the Bible, the, the, the disciple Andrew, who is also known as the inviter. So let's look at John chapter 1, starting with verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak, that's John the Baptist, and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Let's pray for this real quick. Lord, thank you so much for this day. I pray, God, that you would take uh, this, this word and apply it to our hearts, that everyone would leave, change, transform by the hearing and teaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, we're going to examine, look at, look at the life of Andrew for a little bit, and then see maybe are there some transferable principles that we can glean from the life of Andrew uh, and, and maybe how we can do a better job of recognizing and, and being... Um, 
uh, a, 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 a bold declarer of the gospel. All right, so Peter's brother Andrew is the least known of the four disciples in the inner circle. Um, and, and Andrew ordinarily is actually left out. He's very much in the background. You hardly hear much of Andrew at all. Homer Lindsay, refer, he was the first one to refer to Andrew as the inviter. And as you see Andrew, you'll see that. As you see the stories of Andrew, you'll see that. But had Andrew never been born, the New Testament could have changed significantly. I mean, we, we're just coming out of the, the Christmas series, uh, the Christmas season, and my favorite Christmas movie is It's a Wonderful Life. And I love that story about how when, 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 uh, when um, Bailey, George Bailey, he, he's like, okay, I, I just wish I'd never been born. I'm just insignificant. Life would just be better without me. And, and you know, you know the story. You've seen it. If not, you know, um, you, know you should. And so... Um, you know, the, the, the angel, he shows him what life was going to be like if, if he had never been born. And you see how, how much he touched had, had he never been born. If Andrew, even though he seems insignificant, had he not been born, the New Testament would be changed significantly. Peter may, ne- may never have been saved. Someone else would have preached the famous Pentecost sermon. We would have to eliminate two of the books in the New Testament, First and Second Peter. Andrew was the first of all the disciples to be called. In John, uh, John chapter 1, 35 through 40, it shares the, the story of them following John the Baptist. And, and as Jesus comes up, John the Baptist declares that I must decrease and he must increase. And he, he sees, and he, as he sees Jesus come, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. Uh, and, and suddenly Andrew, they, they, they decide, okay, we're going to leave the teaching of John and now pivot and follow Jesus. His eagerness to follow Christ combined with the zeal for introducing others typifies the character of Andrew, the quiet strength of the, uh, of the character of Andrew. Think about Peter, you know of. James, you know of. John, you know of. Andrew. Andrew was the least conspicuous. Scripture doesn't tell us a lot about him. There's only nine times in the New Testament that references uh, him, and mostly it's in passing. Andrew lived his life in the shadows of his better-known brother Peter, even though it was he that brought Peter to Jesus. Andrew's name means manly. He was a strong fisherman. His life proved to be bold, decisive, deliberate. He was a strong man, did not need to be loud. He didn't need to be audacious. His strength came from his character. His strength came from his work ethic. His strength came from his heart. Andrew's personal encounter with Jesus took place, as we said, uh, after Jesus' baptism. Andrew and John became Jesus' first disciples. The news Andrew heard was too good to keep to himself. John, there were followers of John. John said, there's Jesus, go follow Jesus. Andrew and John went and began to follow Jesus. And as they followed Jesus, they heard the message of Jesus. And they, and through the Holy Spirit, they recognized that this was the Messiah. This was the Son of God. This was the man they had been waiting for, they'd been hearing about for generations. And that news was too good to keep to himself. And so Andrew had to tell his one, the person he cared about more than any other, the person he cared about more than anyone, he went and told his brother, Peter. 
He found the one person in the world he most loved, whom he most wanted to know Jesus and led him to Christ. So that's the story of Andrew. What are some transferable principles that we can learn from Andrew and apply to our lives as inviters? Number one, he saw the value of individual people. Andrew appreciated the value of a single soul. He was known for bringing individuals, not crowds, to Jesus. Almost every time we see him in the gospel, he's bringing someone to Jesus. He brought Peter to Jesus, just one. He brought the boy with his lunch to Jesus, just one. Most people don't come to Jesus as a result of a big crowd hearing a sermon. Most people come to Jesus because someone introduced them to the gospel. Andrew brought one, Peter. Peter then brought thousands. All the fruit of Peter's ministry is a result, ultimately, of the fruit of Andrew's faithful individual witness. Why is that important? It's important because we need to understand the value of individual people. We need to understand the value of one. Most of you have never heard of Edward Kimball. He was a Sunday school teacher who led D.L. Moody to Jesus. Edward went to the Boston shoe store where 18-year-old Moody was working, cornered him in a stockroom and introduced him to Christ. Kimball was this, uh, th- this kind of um, shy Sunday school teacher, and D.L. Moody uh, visited his Sunday school class, and he, he realized quickly that D.L. Moody was illiterate, and he was ignorant of all things when it comes to the Bible. And so he, he, he felt the call to go and to share the gospel with D.L. Moody. And so he went to, he, he was going to go to visit him at, at, at his work, a shoe store, and he was so nervous about it that he continued to walk by and walk right past the store. He was like, well, maybe it's not time. Apparently I said something like Siri because she's on. Okay, sorry. Um, sh- <laughs> All right. Shut up. I don't know how to turn it off. All right. Um, okay. D.L. Moody. Okay. So he got there, and he was so nervous about it that he even considered maybe this isn't the right time. He didn't want to embarrass him. I don't want to embarrass him. And, you know, maybe he, you know, gets embarrassed, and all of his coworkers, ooh, what's he trying to do, make you a goody-goody and all this kind of stuff. But he says that he went in, and he shared, he p- pulled him into the, into the back room, and he shared the gospel with him. And he, I love this word. He says, I determined to make a dash for it and, and, and just have it over with. Just get it over with and talk to him. Kimball found Moody in the stockroom and spoke to him with, I love this word, limping words. Later he said, I never could remember what I said. Something about Christ and his love and that's it. And he admitted that it was a weak appeal. But Moody, right then and there, gave his heart to Christ. Now, you may not even know who D.L. Moody is. It's worth a Google search. Tens of thousands of people have come to Christ under Moody's ministry. Moody founded the Moody Bible Institute that has trained thousands of people for ministry. And it all began when one scared-to-death little Sunday school teacher introduced him to Christ. And I love the words that limping words and, and, and a weak appeal because I want you to hear that. 
Because I want you to understand that it doesn't need to be, you know, such, such a polished appeal. You don't have to have everything together. You simply have to have the heart to come to the person and share that gospel with someone. You don't have to have, I mean, if you're in our life group, we're teaching you how to use this thing called the three circles to quickly and articulately share the gospel. It doesn't, you don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have everything there. You just have to go to this person and say, listen, I understand that life is hard. I understand that everything is gone. But you need to hear this one thing. That though you are lost, you can be found. You're blind. You can be seen. You can see. Jesus died on the cross for you some 2,000 years ago, and all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God loves you and has a plan for your life. He wants you. He desires a relationship with you. It doesn't have to be some great, beautiful, you know, a presentation. Take what you have and, and let God do the rest. Thousands of people came to Christ because that scared-to-death little Sunday school teacher took a, took a chance and shared the gospel. So Andrew saw the value of individual people. He saw the value of insignificant gifts. Some people see the big picture more clearly just because they appreciate the value of small things. In the story of feeding the 5,000, Philip's vision was overwhelmed by the size of the need. John 6 said there was a boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. It was Andrew. And I wonder about that scene where Philip's like, there's too many people. I wonder about Matthew, who is, you know, more inclined to detail, saying, okay, I'm doing the math here, and no, we can't handle this. I, I don't care about this boy's lunch. That's not going to help us. And Peter, that's just ridiculous. Go back to, to, go back to her. But this little boy, because his mom was a good mom and sent him to this, sent him with, with his bag lunch. Andrew's like, come on. And he took the little boy with his bag lunch and he took him to Jesus. Again, Andrew connecting someone to Jesus. No gift is insignificant in the hands of Jesus. He saw a poor widow dropping in two coins. Jesus did, said, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all these people have put in gifts of their surplus, but she has given all she has. God's ability to use a gift is in no way hindered or enhanced by the size of the gift. It is the size of the heart of the giver, not the size of the gift. It's not the greatness of the gift that counts, but the greatness of the God to whom it is given. Stop waiting for a grand gesture to share with your one. Give the gift of the gospel. Whatever you have, whatever words you have, whatever heart you have, give it to the person. Share that with the person. Let them hear it. And let God take that gift and do what he does. Too often, we're waiting for, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to wait for something special. I'm going to wait for this. I'm going to wait for that. I'm going to wait for, stop. Stop waiting for a big gesture. Just give what you have. Give what knowledge you have. Give what testimony you have. Give whatever you have to your person, to your one, and let God do the rest. No gift, no gesture, no matter how small, is insignificant in the hands of God. God can feed over 5,000 with a fish sandwich sack launch. He can take your humble gift. He can take your humble testimony and do something amazing with it. The miracle of feeding the 5,000 illustrates the way God works. He takes insignificant gifts 
of people who are faithful, and he multiplies them to accomplish incredible things. So number one, he saw the value of individual people. Number two, he saw the value of insignificant gifts. Number three, he saw the value of inconspicuous service. Andrew is the picture of all those who labor quietly. He did not mind being hidden as long as the work was done. He was a leader with a servant's heart. Andrew never preached to multitudes. He never founded any churches. There's no book of Andrew in the Bible. Tradition has it that Andrew took the gospel into northern Russia, even maybe into Scotland. He was ultimately crucified in Achaia, which is in southern Greece near Athens. Account says that he uh, invited the wife of a provincial Roman governor to Christ, and she surrendered her life, and and it infuriated the husband, and he demanded that the wife recant Jesus. And the wife refused, and so he crucified Andrew. Andrew was lashed to the cross instead of being nailed in order to prolong the suffering. Tradition says it was an X-shaped cross. And most accounts say that he hung on the cross for two days. Preaching to those passing by to turn to Christ for salvation while hanging on the cross, suffering for two days, the inviter continued to invite. He didn't stop, because it's who he was. As he was suffering, as any of us would have said, I'm done, God, no moss, bring me home. He continued every day to invite those who passed by to Jesus. In America... More is better. In America, more is always better. And if you try to negate that, people will question your work ethic. People will question your hustle. People will question whether or not you're willing to do the next level thing. More is always better. More, bigger, bigger, better. Flash is better than substance. Fame is better than humility. And unfortunately, that mentality has seeped into the church. I'll be honest with you. This campaign has been around for years. And I have fought it. I I, I fought doing this campaign, Who's Your One? I had a problem with the idea. I had a problem with the very idea of this campaign. I was like, well, what's going to happen if someone who is your one comes in and says, wait a minute, am I just some name on a ball here? What in the world? I don't want to feel like a project. Why? I I, I was concerned about that. And then I, I began to pray, but Lord, how do I get our people to understand the need to be bold in their faith? The third part of our mission statement is to live boldly. How do we do that? How do we become better evangelists? And quite honestly, if we do it the way the Bible tells us to, it should be one. And that leads us to the campaign. One. (laughs) One gospel. 
I will never complain about babies crying. One soul, one heart, one God. That's the, that's the, the essence of this campaign. We should never, ever be ashamed of just one. Well, Sean, wouldn't we do it better if we had like a big event and got tons of people to Jesus? Yeah, what are you going to do with them? Isn't 100 better than one? Yes. 100 of you, which right now, every Sunday, we're between 100 and 120 people in here. If 100 of you will get one and share the gospel with your one, that is what we're supposed to do. And so as we close, I want us to pray for those who are far from God but close to us. I want us to pray for boldness. Boldness. Not necessarily the boldness of Peter. Maybe the boldness of Andrew. Quiet strength. The boldness of inviting one. As we pray... I want us, as we do every week, to come to the table. We at Live Oak Church, if you're new here, we at Live Oak Church, we take communion every Sunday. We take it every Sunday because, one, the Bible tells us, too, that we're to, to remember what Jesus did. But we do it because it is the perfect opportunity every week for us to remember the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. He died for us on the cross so that we may have access to God. And so if you are a believer... It is open communion. You don't have to be a member. You just have to say that Jesus is Lord. And you come and you take communion. The body represent, the, the bread represents the body of Christ. The juice represents the, the blood that was shed for your sins. If you're not a believer, if you're just checking this place out, if you're just kind of hanging out, then I just ask that you would respect this process and just hang back. And we appreciate it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. God, I thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you for the love of one, that you died for one, that you celebrate one, that you went after one. I pray, God, that we would have the boldness to love the one, that we would go after and we would recognize the, the need to spread the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray.